I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female. This week, I spoke with Julieta Dexter. She's the founder and CEO of The Communication Store, one of London's leading PR agencies, which now also has a presence in the U.S. Julieta founded TCS 25 years ago, and the agency grew to become the leading name in fashion, beauty, lifestyle, and luxury PR. Julieta's clients have included some of the world's and the U.K.'s top brands from Netta Porte, Burberry, The House of Versace, McQueen, Anya Henmarch, Emilia Wickstead, Charlotte Tilbury, Goop, Glossier, and more. Julieta and her team have played a huge role in launching and supporting growth for all of these brands, and Julieta has mentored and helped develop generations of PR professionals. She is extremely admired and respected uh, in the industry and by everyone who has ever crossed paths with her. Julieta and I spoke about the reality of being a woman at the helm of a business and the challenges that come with it. And so I very politely said to him, do you know, we've been sitting here for an hour and 25 minutes. I'm the chief executive of a business that most people would deem to be a successful business over nearly a quarter of a century. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you haven't asked me one question. I have asked you 29 questions about your business about Brexit, about your family, about the state of the retail industry, about the future of AI and AR in retail, but you haven't asked me one question. And I just want to ask you another question. Is that because you feel you have more to contribute and that I can learn more from you than you can learn from me? We also spoke about career and personal growth, leadership, finding balance in life, and how success really has nothing to do with an amount of money in the bank. Julieta is an absolutely inspirational leader, and I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed my chat with her. And if you like what you hear, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. My name is Julieta Dexter. I'm the founder and CEO of The Communication Store. The Communication Store is a strategic brand development and communications agency based in London and in New York and with a flexible office in Los Angeles. And we look after, in my mind, the most wonderful brands in the space of fashion, beauty and lifestyle. You are a trailblazer. You um, have helped uh, launch and help generate growth for uh, many amazing brands, um, as you just said, in fashion, lifestyle, luxury, and more. Um, TCS is known here uh, in the UK and now in the US as well. Um, you have an amazing reputation for the work you do, and I've been lucky enough to be on the client side of TCS, so I can attest to that firsthand. But before we get into that, I'd like to go back to the beginning, when it all started. Um, I'd like to know a little bit about uh, you, Julieta, growing up. What were your aspirations? What were your dreams? And what were you thinking you would end up doing as a career? The little Julieta grew up in Italy. I was raised in Milan and on Lake Como. Oh, wonderful. So I think I was a little bit of a dichotomy really. On the one side, when I was thinking of answering this question, I was very much somebody who tried very hard at school. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to succeed and do the best that I could. 
I wanted to try to go to Oxford or Cambridge mm-hmm. University, and I've always been inspired by clever people mm-hmm. that do interesting things and spend their time wisely. So on the one hand, I was very interested in my studies and probably a little bit annoyingly was always trying to sit at the front of the class, <laughs> if I'm honest. And then on the other side, I was pretty cheeky. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I loved to do sport. I was quite musical. Uh, I did quite a lot of theatre at school. And in a way, I suppose that I always wished that I was something incredible. Like I was really going to be, I don't know, a ballet dancer or a scientist. And kind of just to be brilliant at mm. one thing. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't. I was just kind of okay at mm. pretty much a lot of things. Mm. And so I guess I was always worried that I was kind of boring, just kind of average all-rounder. My areas of strength were more in the arts, languages, history, uh, philosophy, that side of the academic sphere. Um, I certainly didn't have a clear path in my mind. Mm, Absolutely mm -hmm. not. I did have this ambition to go to Oxbridge. Uh, I did, in the end, go to Jesus College, Cambridge, and studied history and modern languages. And I felt extraordinarily privileged to go to that university, where Mm. I felt that I was being taught and could share my own learnings with some of the greatest academic minds. Mm. So that was really my ambition when I was a younger person at school. Three weeks before my final exams at Cambridge, my father was 56 and died in his sleep one night. And so that was really a big turning point in in my life. Mm. Um, He, I think, thought that I would be a business person. I'm the youngest of three girls, so Mm. I have two older sisters. And truthfully, I think he probably hoped that I was a boy. And so <laughs> um, and so I think that uh, he thought that I would go into business. His own business was insurance. Okay. And at uh, sort of family meal times, there was sometimes talk of me going into his insurance business, which mm. he ran and headquartered from Milan right. in Italy. Mm-hmm. So life always can throw different things at you when you're least expecting it. Mm-hmm. So I finished my studies in, 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 in Cambridge and went back to Italy to assist my mother with obviously what was for her one of the most difficult moments in her, her, in her own life. My mother left school when she was quite young and did not have really any Uh, skills in terms of concluding my father's business life Mm, and all of the things that he looked after for us as a family. Mm -hmm. So that that was really, I think if I'm truthful, uh, one of the things in my life that has changed my course, possibly made me who I am and what I do every day and has been an enormous inspiration to how I've chosen to 
use my my life and, and my days and weeks. Mm. And when did PR cross your path? So after that time, I was trying to help my mom out. And then I decided that I was going to go into charity PR and fundraising. Mm. And I suppose the segue in my mind was that I had to save the world somehow <laughs> um, in, I guess, a moment of, of grief and loss in my mm. life and that every day had to have a real meaning. Mm -hmm. And therefore, this was what I was going to do. And through a family friend in the end, I got a job in a wonderful charity Uh, called the English Speaking Union and the English Speaking Union was a charity that funded good academic musical cultural artistic relations between the US Canada and the UK oh wonderful and I loved that and I was very lucky to learn some very basic communication skills from my colleagues and my boss at the English Speaking Union and I stayed there for uh, about a year and a half And one day somebody came in and said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm trying to save the world. And they said, well, if you really want to do that and you really want to raise money for causes, mm. you have to go out and have a business career somewhere, somehow. And we think you might be a little bit wasted here as a very generous person um, who said that to me. And then when you've built a business network and you can access the corporate world, the business world, then you can really have much more value. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that person who was actually one of the board directors at National Magazines mm -hmm. uh, at the time, her name was Lizzie Kershaw. She very generously introduced me to some agencies in PR and communications back then. And I was lucky enough to be given a job in an agency um, a long time ago now. Mm. And I found the breadth of skills that you can use in this job, which range from good writing skills, mm -hmm. excellent organization skills, attention to detail mm -hmm. skills, running a budget or a P&L, networking and creative skills. So. What I love, one of the things that I love about this job that I have is the breadth of different skills mm -hmm. and capabilities that you can use and enjoy uh, working It's in. so true. Mm -hmm. and, and I really, really love that. And actually that passion has increased for me mm. um, as opposed to anything else. And I think that this job appeals to people who love to have a few plates spinning or quite a yes. few plates yes. spinning all the time <laughs> yes and i work my best under pressure mm -hmm. and i enjoy the um the juggling act. The, the juggling and the pressure mm -hmm. that's how i sort of it it drives energy inside of me mm. um adrenaline i suppose that um i think makes me perform better mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you have any role models growing up or when you started your career in, in communications and PR? Or is there somebody that inspired you or, or somebody you looked up to or somebody who mentored you? I think there were many years where I wished my dad was around to mm -hmm. give me some counsel. And uh, funnily enough, I think I actually sought out various kind of father figures to help me and to give me the answers. And then I realized a long time ago now that nobody 
but nobody gives you the answers. <laughs> um, maybe I'm not very smart, but it, I think it was a level of starting a business with 600 pounds and being terrified, frankly, that I couldn't pay the bills a, a, a lot of the time. And seeking the confirmation from another human being that what I was doing was the right thing. Mm -hmm. And that was what I was after. And it took me a little while to realize that that wasn't going to come. Lots right. of people could give you a pat on the back or mm -hmm. give you a hug and say, you're doing great. Yeah. You know, it's okay. Good job. But actually, and whilst that was very lovely and comforting, the only person who was going to make it happen or have the answers, whether they be right or wrong, was me. Mm. Along the way, however, I have been so fortunate to meet through my work the most extraordinary number of entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. founders, business people who I feel incredibly blessed to, to even know. Right. And I could cite so many of those um, from a business perspective, uh, the hotelier Sir Rocco Forte has been an extraordinary um, guide in terms of seeing somebody build an extraordinary hotel uh, business across the world. Right. Um, the hair care giant John Frieda mm -hmm. was a client in this uh, company for 20 years and I have to say that John has been the most incredible mentor and teacher to mm. me um, and many women also um, we were so fortunate to work for many many years with Natalie Massonet yes. Dame Nat Natalie Massonet at Net-a-Porte Susan Harmsworth in the wellness sector she built an incredible spa and uh, product company S spa and so forth and so on mm. I I've been so lucky to watch at close range, some very successful people in mm. our world work mm. and work very hard. And I've learned so much from those people. And I feel very, very blessed mm. to have that in my life. So as you were building your own business, you were influenced and benefited from the learnings of working with all these fantastic names and brands and individuals. Absolutely right. And I think that one of the real common denominators of all of those people was however so successful they were, they never forgot their humility, mm. ever. Mm -hmm. So I remember when I started the business, people saying to me, well, you know, in 10 years or 15 or 20 years, you'll be so successful. You won't have to do that anymore. Wrong. Never believe that. <laughs> Because actually those people in their success and what I've certainly tried to emulate from them is you roll your sleeves up, you never forget the detail, you never forget the small things mm -hmm. that aren't small. Mm -hmm. They're really, really important. And we were talking yesterday here that somebody was looking in the post room and saw a, a letter uh, with some product uh, going out from a client mm -hmm. and the label was just not very nicely handwritten hmm. and was just a little bit crooked crooked mm. so I went downstairs and I very very gently could recognize the handwriting and I just took that person apart and just said look if you realized that this was coming through your post box you'd know that it was just kind of 
whipped together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, that uh, that ability to remember that every tiny task that you do has to be done at the best of your ability and mm -hmm. you are never too big mm -hmm. or busy to do those things mm -hmm. is key. That's, that's a very important lesson right there. Um, you uh, founded the communication store, I believe it was 25 years ago now. Um, and 25 years ago and, and even in the, in the earlier days when you started your current PR, how was it to be a woman in business? And we, I believe we've come a long way. Um, there's a lot more women entrepreneurs today, women leaders. There's more women in the boardroom. We still have a long way to go for complete equity. Um, but I'm curious, 25 years ago, what was your experience as a young woman starting her own business? I had a briefcase. And um, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, when we were um, being... Uh, looked at to potentially pitch for the John Frieda hair care company. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually uh, just had my daughter, mm -hmm. and um, John said that if he was going to appoint us as a business, that he wanted to meet me. And uh, I had very, very, very short maternity uh, with both my girls. Uh, when Valentina was born, I think I was away from the office for two and a half weeks. Wow. And I that went... That is a short <laughs> mat leave. I went to Marks and Spencer and I bought a kind of um, cherry red merino little jumper and a pinstripe suit and went to Claridge's Hotel in London to meet our hopefully potential client, John Frieda. And actually now he laughs about that first meeting <laughs> because he said you turned up in a pinstripe suit as if you were a businessman. Mm -hmm. And so I think that story is quite indicative of how I used to be. Mm -hmm. And I had for many years the most wonderful business partner who was with me for 19 years. We built the business together with our other business partner, Daniel Marks. And very often Tom and I would go into a meeting and sometimes they, the, the clients who at that time in business were very often uh, gentlemen, mm -hmm. um, would talk to Tom. Mm, of course. And they wouldn't talk to me so much. Mm. And I remember one meeting where uh, we introduced ourselves and I never felt it necessary to say, oh, I'm Julietta and I'm the founder of the business. Because mm -hmm. we were colleagues just doing a job and building a business together. And I remember one time a gentleman at the end of a meeting turning round to Tom and say, now, dear boy, why did you bring your assistant to this meeting? Ooh. And so there was a little bit of that going mm. on. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, it's very different today. Mm -hmm. And I suppose that um, one thing I say now with absolutely no fear at all when I'm asked what skills I might bring to the workplace today, is I say my maternal skills. Mm, that's interesting. And I don't feel frightened to say that at all. Mm. In fact, I feel deeply proud. Mm -hmm. And I guess that um, women have got powers of intuition, of empathy, mm -hmm. of compassion, and of softness 
that I've really brought to work. And I guess after the pinstripe suit moment, when John, I think particularly as an example, felt and made me feel that I had a lot to contribute to strategy, creativity, everything that was going on in building a brand, that gave me confidence, I suppose, to be much more myself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And internally, internally, inside of the communications store, we have a staff force um, of about 200. And I feel so lucky to be surrounded by this community of 200 people. I feel so grateful that people stay and work here mm -hmm. for a long time. Mm. And I feel incredibly responsible for those people, mm. for their first rent, for their first child, for feeding their families. Mm. That is really the duty I feel as a self-appointed leader, if you will. Mm -hmm. I choose to do the job that I do every day. But when I go home at night and rest my head on the pillow, yes, I care deeply about the clients and the work that we are giving to those clients. But just as perhaps more importantly is how much I care about the community, mm. whose salaries we pay and that we are looking after those people mm -hmm. in the right way. And in that, I'm using my maternal skills. Right, right. Yeah, and that's a plus that you bring to the table. I hope so. Mm -hmm. I really hope so, because I care a lot about that. Mm -hmm. We'll come back to the question of leadership, but um, you, you mentioned the example of a potential client speaking to your male partner instead of, of you, or referring to you as the assistant, you know, sitting next to him. Um, I, I think you're right, these situations happen less and less today, but they still happen. How would you deal with um, someone, you know, a, a business, no matter if he's a potential client or not, how would you deal with that situation if it happened today? And what advice would you have for women who face a similar situation somewhere in a boardroom? I'm going to give you a possibly quite controversial but truthful answer. When I grew up, I came from a traditional family unit where my father went out to work and provided for us and my mother was a housewife. Mm -hmm. And therefore, truthfully speaking, what my father said went. Mm -hmm. And so when that has been your cultural environment, to a degree, and I have to only speak for myself personally, I cannot speak for other women here, right. just mm -hmm. being very personal in my answer to your question. When I came into the business world, I'm afraid to say that I probably bought that cultural upbringing with me. Mm -hmm. So I'm not necessarily blaming myself, but I came from a family where when my father said, it's going to be this way, that was what we were mm. taught and educated to do. Right. Now, sadly, in my business life, I, I realized that not every man was like my father. My father was an incredibly successful, kind, wonderful human being and businessman. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that not everybody was like that. But as a younger business person, I suppose I didn't have the confidence 
or the cultural upbringing to know how to handle those situations. Mm. And as I have got older, to answer your question, I am never rude, but I am extremely forthright. Mm. The other day I was sitting at an awards dinner and a very, very senior executive in a major fashion global brand who for perhaps the purpose of today's podcast should remain nameless, Mm -hmm. talked at me. For the entirety of the dinner, we went through the wine being poured, the appetizer, the main course, the dessert arriving, and I got to the end of the dinner and I thought it is absolutely extraordinary to me that this man hasn't asked me one question. And so I very politely said to him, do you know, we've been sitting here for an hour and 25 minutes. I'm the chief executive of a business that most people would deem to be a successful business over nearly a quarter of a century. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you haven't asked me one question. I have asked you 29 questions about your business, about Brexit, about your family, about the state of the retail industry, about the future of AI and AR in retail but you haven't asked me one question and I just want to ask you another question. Is that because you feel you have more to contribute and that I can learn more from you than you can learn from me? Good for you. So that's how I deal with it. And I'm curious, what was his answer? He got up and walked away. (gasps) Wow. Which is also absolutely fine. Yes, but wow. But wow. (laughs) But wow. But that's, and I do, I, I, sometimes, um, the team here in the company can't believe that I actually say those things. Mm. Um, And I suppose that one of my little mantras is a lot of people say things that they wouldn't say to your face on social media. I tend never to say them on social media, but say them to somebody's face. Which I think is the right way to go. And on behalf of women everywhere, I want to thank you (laughs) for saying those things to that man who shall remain nameless, um, because I think we do have to speak up. And if we don't, nothing is going to change, even if the person walks away. I have a book project that is underway, hopefully to be published next year, around tips and experiences in the workplace. And I had a client for a long time who really bullied me. And I could feel when this was happening the constriction in my throat Mm. and the feeling of wanting to cry Mm. and really feeling aggressed patronized and very small actually Mm. and i kept on desperately trying to work out what do you do in that situation when you're in the workplace when somebody is really basically being incredibly aggressive right and i worked out a test, which I, which I did, which was when I was in the situation with no emotion in my voice at all, mm-hmm. without letting that constriction mm-hmm. in my f- throat change my voice yeah. to a very feeble, uh, mm-hmm. weakened voice. Mm-hmm. You know, we all know. We all know that feeling in that you know, voice. <laughs> and, and what that voice sounds like, which mm-hmm. is not a powerful, empowered voice. So I tested it and I said to him, Please 
could you stop speaking to me in that way? It's very rude and I'm now going to leave the room. Good for you. And I walked out. Mm -hmm. And I train this with everybody and I give everybody in the the communication store the permission to do that. Now what happened? The next time it happened, I couldn't see any change in behavior. Mm -hmm. I could see it was happening all over again. Mm -hmm. And worse, he said to me, Oh, I suppose you're going to cry now, aren't you? Oh. And I said, yes, I think I will, so I'll be leaving the room. It never happened again. He got the message. He got the message. Mm. So that ability to express yourself and genuinely with honesty say Mm. how something is making you feel, Mm -hmm. although, of course, uh, nothing makes you feel anything, but that was hugely empowering to me Mm. to learn that lesson, to be able to say, please don't speak to me like that. Mm -hmm. And actually then realizing that that person was never going to get the best out of me Mm -hmm. by treating me in that way. Right, right. And doing it from a place of power and confidence. And yes, you didn't, I didn't find that in my head or in my heart. Mm. I found that somewhere deep down. Mm. To say, please, please don't treat me like that. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that book coming out. <laughs> I want all of this advice. <laughs> um, you obviously, um, and you've talked about how much you care about your employees at TCS. You've mentored um, uh, a large number of, of employees uh, within the company and outside the company. Um, in your opinion, is as a leader, is it more important to be loved or to be respected? Or I should say liked uh, instead of loved. Uh, but is that more important or is respect more important? I think I see it in a different way. I think that you cannot command respect, you earn respect. Mm -hmm. And that could be by being liked for something that you're doing or because of the way that you operate. And I see leadership as something that you either have the skills, the tools, the energy to take people with you because of how you behave, Mm -hmm. or you don't. Now, if I walked in here every day and I thought, none of the staff can stand me, that would be an issue for me. Right. And, you know, I'm big enough to know that sometimes women need to feel needed. We are people pleasers. Mm -hmm. We, that's our maternal instinct as well. Mm -hmm. So I want to be honest about that. But I use the... um, an illustration of a tree to explain my leadership model. And I see leadership as something very, very, very separate to power. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people confuse confuse those two things. And I have chosen to get up and try to do what I do every day. And therefore I see leadership as a duty and a privilege to work with some incredibly smart people. And I see it as a completely circular, um, non-triangular, hierarchical structure. Mm. And my tree is that leaders are the roots underneath the ground. Mm -hmm. They should not really be the shining stars. 
they should be the solid, quiet, powerful, rooted, wise, life-giving roots mm. under the ground mm. to help build this very solid ecosystem that is a tree. The tree. And the interns, if you will, are the green leaves. And therefore, everything that's in the trunk of the tree, which are our values as a business, and those are passion, care, strength, wisdom, trying to be clever, to be considered, to be considerate, and maybe to be countercultural, and really try to be intelligent about what we're doing. Mm -hmm. That trunk is there to inspire and grow the green leaves. And it's, a, it's an ecosystem, because mm -hmm. guess what happens? One day the green leaves, they fall to the ground, and, and they you, make, yes. absolutely. Mm -hmm. So that's really how I envision leadership. Mm. So one of the questions was about climbing a corporate ladder. I, I've never felt that I was climbing anything. Mm -hmm. I've always felt that I was learning and exploring every mm -hmm. day, and yes, some extraordinary talent is in this company. Our leadership team is amazing as a talent pool mm -hmm. and I believe so much in reverse mentoring. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a new member of staff called Eloise and she is really uh, on the beauty side of the business. She is much more uh, versed in digital, social, paid, um, strategy for clients than I am mm -hmm. and we have training sessions where she is training me mm -hmm. on client work and explaining to me why she's spent client money in certain ways mm -hmm. and what the results are and how I can also learn those skills and what we love and I, I hope I can speak for Eloise on this is that I know stuff she doesn't know and she knows stuff I don't know. So mutual exchange. Yeah, and it's just so exciting. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. love that. So you're growing and, and you as the leader of the company, you're still growing every day with the organization. Most certainly. I mean, I, I feel like the first 24 years was that like, that was like the dry run. That mm. was like the dress rehearsal. Now I'm really <laughs> learning stuff. And so I feel enormously inspired by the most junior people mm. in 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 the business and the only difference between me and them is that i'm just older mm -hmm. so i've just done things mm -hmm. before they're doing them right right and so that swap of knowledge i very often walk into the room and say okay guys what i really want today is for you to rip my ideas to shred mm. like tell me that i'm wrong mm. and then we really get somewhere yeah yeah but it's fantastic as a leader that you have the open-mindedness to be able to do that. And you have the confidence to be able to allow them to rip your ideas to shreds. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. Because that's how I'll learn mm -hmm. and keep learning. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of my fears is complacency. Mm -hmm. And when everything is going just so, whether you think you're becoming complacent or not, you are. Mm -hmm. And that's been amazing for me in opening the business in the US, mm. which happened about two years ago. It was like starting from the beginning, right. all over again, yeah. a market that nobody knows us, yeah. 
nobody knows our work, nobody knows our reputation, we haven't had time to build wonderful relationships with people. Right. So for me, it was like starting over and it's mm-hmm. been so good for me. Keeping you on your toes and outside of your comfort zone. Sure thing, yeah. absolutely. And learning new things and building new relationships with new people. And, and I've found that to be enormously inspiring. And uh, I fear complacency. I fear complacency and therefore I'm constantly looking at what we could do better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I very seldom and sometimes wrongly because sometimes I forget to celebrate our successes. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly looking at how we could improve. Mm. What's your definition of success? And has it changed, has it evolved over the years? If I had asked you the same question 20 years ago, would the answer have been the same? Yes, it has. I think that I was much more driven by achievement. I think that as a younger person, you know, you go to school, you go to college, you do your best, and you're told that really you've got to get out there and earn a living. Mm -hmm. And therefore, that was, if you like, a bit more of a singular Mm -hmm. uh, measure of success. And I'm not knocking that. Everybody has to, one way or the other, get out there and, and get a job and make a living. And, and that's really, really tough. So I'm not making light of that at all. I suppose as, as I've got older and hopefully a teeny bit wiser, I don't really think success is a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, who's success? Because I might be perceived to be successful in some parts of my life, but yes. actually failed at others Mm -hmm. and so the breadth the kind of 360 of what success might be is something that frankly I don't spend very long thinking about at Mm -hmm. all what I do think when I wake up every morning is how incredibly blessed I have been to be able to come to work every day and to do what I do Mm -hmm. and to build something Mm -hmm. with people that I love around me and that my health and that my family has supported me in doing that. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is extraordinary success Mm -hmm. to have been fortunate enough to be allowed to do that. And when I have really bad days at work where I just think, oh man, this is too much, this is overwhelming, this has been the most terrible day, Mm -hmm. I use that thinking to put things in context. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't perceive myself at all to be a successful person, mm. to be very clear. I mm. do not perceive myself to be successful. <laughs> What's missing for you to be able to say you're successful? It's more a collective. It's more that if I've achieved anything, I've achieved it with a number of people around me. Mm. Tom, Daniel, everybody in the company, my husband, so we're just very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't see success um, as being just about money. Yes. We have a big pillar in our company of sustainability, responsibility, and purpose. Esther Morn McLaughlin joined us a few years ago now to lead and guide us in our own business and also our client business to mm-hmm. guide us through improving ourselves to basically be being more conscious as a business. And therefore, 
that to me is success when I see things like that having real impact mm, mm -hmm. and our clients effectively thinking more about the planet and its people. Right. Okay. That's success. That's a success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How interesting. Um, you work with a lot of amazing, talented uh, designers. There is a big fashion practice uh, within TCS. And because I know you are, I think we can call you a feminist or a champion of women, um, it, I think it's a known fact that there is underrepresentation for uh, women uh, heading design teams or heading design uh, companies, heading brands. Um, and you've seen that situation evolve over the years. We've come a long way, but there's still a long way to go. Um, what will it take? What can we do to help change that reality? I think a lot is being done. Daniel, my business partner who runs the whole of the fashion side of the business, is an advisor to the British Fashion Council and works closely with the CFDA, uh, increasingly closely I hope, as we move forward with the CFDA. And Daniel is the most extraordinary talent and man in encouraging <coughs> excuse me, both the funding and the investment in designers and female designers. Mm. I can think of some designers that we look after here um, who are becoming extraordinarily successful. Anya Hindmarch, mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. uh, accessories designer, has been a client here. Amelia Wickstead, um, Roxander, and then incredible women in fashion uh, in the Italian fashion houses like uh, the Missoni family mm, are in incredible matriarchs mm, in fashion yeah. and also of course Daniel has always had the most precious relationship with the house of Versace mm. with Donatella mm. Versace so I've always been inspired by these female uh, empowered creative extraordinary women but I think that there is real necessity for things to change around the substance of the industry. So we can make funds to support designers. Uh, an announcement was made this week by the British Fashion Council for a female designer mm -hmm. with a £200,000 investment in in her business so these are quite important amounts of money yes but more than that i think that there are more granular changes to the industry that need to be made daniel talks very passionately for example about the retailers supporting young designers yes mm -hmm. but then in fact the payment terms mm. sorry to talk about something mm -hmm. that's a little bit more tradey and commercial but the payment terms of the young designers are pitiful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And therefore, these are the things that we, as champions of the designers of tomorrow, feel enormously strongly about. Mm -hmm. You can't, on the one hand, celebrate and encourage these young designers to spend inordinate amounts of money on feeling that a runway show is an absolute must. Mm -hmm. And then when you make your buy mm -hmm. to really mm -hmm. 
work by some pitiful and one-sided payment terms. Right. So those are the things that Daniel and I, I know feels extremely mm. strongly by. But in the industry as a whole, outside of designers, I think we've got the most incredible role models, female role models, mm. those designers included. But I mean, certainly in the UK, Alexandra Schulman, the editor-in-chief yes. of Vogue here, mm. and Anna, Anna Winter mm-hmm. in the US. So I feel very fortunate, both in our client base, but also in the industry as a whole, to have been inspired by some very powerful women. On the show, I have a couple of questions that I ask every single guest who comes on. And the first one is, if you could go back in time, as far back as you need, would you change something and what would it be? I don't think I've got anything that I would change and I urge everybody never to live with regrets. You make mistakes, I make mistakes every day and mistakes are nothing but learning opportunities. So I don't have regrets but I suppose that I wish I could have slept a little bit more (laughs) and also It took me a very long time to realize that none of this matters. Mm -hmm. And to be able to step out and not let it completely overwhelm you. Mm -hmm. I I have a wonderful uh, business coach, Liz Villani. Uh, Her company is called Courageous Success. Mm -hmm. And she said to me once in my coaching, I want you to leave the office now and go shopping for the day. And I just couldn't do it and it took me many years to realize that I should have been able to do that right just for one day Mm -hmm. and I never allowed that to myself (laughs) well and the next question could tie into that if we fast forward 10 years from now looking back what do you think will be the one thing that you'll be the most proud of can I have two sure the thing that I'll be most proud of is that we are living in one of the most uh, disruptive uh, moments of evolution in communications, in brands, in consumer behavior, and in the technology and the tools that we have to communicate. Mm. I obviously would tell you that I think good communication can save the world. Mm -hmm. And therefore... And I would agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, And so I would love this company to have evolved and become a next generation company using all of this technology in an agile, intelligent, considered way to be the real leader, really in the world, Mm -hmm. of conscious, strategic, considered, empathetic communication. Mm. That would be enormously exciting Mm -hmm. for me Mm -hmm. and very much what I'm inspired and excited by every day. On the personal side, I would feel very, very proud if both my daughters have found their passion Mm. and really have found their professional lights. And I wish that they do, and I wish that you continue to be very proud of them. Um, Is there a book that changed your life or marked your life or deeply influenced you? I think 
one of the books that has influenced me and moves me every time I read it is a book called Man's Search for Meaning mm. by a man called Viktor Frankl. It was written about the Holocaust and it is a deeply moving book. And if ever the wonderment and the creative excitement of my industry ever goes to my head, I read that book. Mm -hmm. How many times have you read it? Oh, I've read it 25 times at, <laughs> at least, at least. So once a year since you launched TCS. Yes, it was a book that I, I found uh, a number of years ago and um, it's, it's very moving. There's one um, chapter in the book where you, I don't need to explain to you the uh, desperation and tragedy of the Holocaust, but he finds utter joy and peace in looking out of a window and looking at a tree. Mm -hmm. And it's it's extremely moving. Mm -hmm. I will add that to my read list. Um, is there a quote or a saying that you like to repeat, maybe just internally to yourself, or that you you share with your team uh, on a regular basis? Um, actually, John Frieda always used to say, "The harder you work, the luckier you get." But mm. I'm not so sure I, <laughs> I agree, <laughs> because I think it's smart work that you need. Right, right. And I suppose more recently, as I grow through my life, and I'm extremely excited to be an older woman in the workplace, because actually if you look at females uh, in the workplace, there does seem to be a professional cliff mm. that women have to frankly be pushed off or have been pushed off mm. and funny enough I was talking to somebody a wonderful woman called Liz Earl she's a journalist a health writer a broadcaster about the menopause and it's really one of the a journey in a woman's life that is so little talked about mm. and Liz has written about the menopause a great deal and she was talking to me about a uh, chief of police in I think the Midlands in the UK who suddenly realized that he had these amazing sort of 50 year old police officers that were just dropping literally off the professional mm. cliff because the menopause was hitting them hard and mm. they just couldn't cope with the pressure of the workplace. And she and I were talking about this and realizing that the experience, the wisdom that women have of all the skills that we bring to the workplace just cannot stop. We've got so much. We're all going to live till we're about 100. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the, 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 the reality, the consequence, the thought that you have this moment in your life, in your 50s, say your mid-50s, and that then you're redundant to the workplace mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is vile and rude, and mm. I just won't have it. And so... I suppose recently one of the sayings that I keep saying to myself is what I need will come and what I what will come is what I need mm. and then I will do the best that I can. It's mm -hmm. mm. a good one. And my last question Actually, no, second to last. I'll have one more. <laughs> what do you wish women would do more of? In the workplace? In life. It could be at work. It could be personal, professional. I think that 
women have almost, and again, I'm going to be quite controversial, we've sort of made our lives quite difficult in a way. And, you know, we could spend a long time talking together about women having it all or not. Mm -hmm. But I suppose that being true to yourself is very, very important to to me personally Mm -hmm. and a lesson that I've learned, you know, back to the pinstripe suit. I thought I had to be a man, (laughs) um, I think. A businessman. Exactly. And I think that really listening to yourself and knowing what it is that you want and feeling unashamed about that Mm -hmm. and that society and culture doesn't somehow judge you for wanting to be a mother, Mm -hmm. wanting to be a wonderful homemaker, wanting to be a chief executive, wanting to be a prime minister, be true to who you are. Mm -hmm. And I think that where we maybe have done ourselves a disservice is thinking that we've got to be something that maybe we're not. Mm. And sometimes, you know, the the staff force here in the office um, is 80% plus female. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people are very, very tearful when they're in my office and they say, you know, I I thought I wanted this enormous career, but I've had a baby and all I can think of is, is being at home. And I feel so bad about that. And that makes me feel emotional, very emotional, Mm. because I know the wonder of being a mother. Mm. And I also am a very proud homeowner. I love cooking. Mm. I do a lot of, I think in Canada you would call this needlepoint. Yes, yes. Um, Tapestry. Stitching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I've done a lot of tapestry work and I found that on long distance Mm. travel, hugely therapeutic and relaxing for me mm. when you just can't bang out another email and you just can't watch another movie mm-hmm. I've done a, a lot of that work and so I really would want women to just feel comfortable with who they are mm-hmm. and not feel whatever they're doing is lesser than because women are now meant to be able to or want to be everything to everyone mm-hmm. and and so I I really encourage every woman to be true to Mm -hmm. what they really want and dream of. Mm -hmm. And that's the best advice. And I do have one last question, and you touched on it a little bit. Um, I'd like to know how you keep balance in your life and how you stay grounded. Um, Maybe it's a a routine or something you need to do on a a day-to-day basis. juggle a very busy professional life um, life as a mom uh, just life as a person in general so what keeps you grounded and balanced I have taught myself to be able to shut my mind off Um, and I can do that sometimes I just go to the restrooms Mm -hmm. in the office Um, I have been known to say to my assistant that I'm just going to go to sleep for three minutes mm-hmm. and I can do that. Wow, so a quick power nap in the office. I don't actually go to sleep mm. but I can shut down my mind so that all of that noise mm. stops and that's been a very very helpful thing. Uh, you can do that through your breath, mm-hmm. you can do that through closing your eyes and watching the colors inside of your eyes and 
if you practice on the bus or mm. on the subway, you can just get better and better at that. My longer term answer is that I have found being in nature enormously restorative and nurturing. Mm. And I have a, a house in the countryside and I get home on a Friday night and I go from the energy and the pace and the noise and the vibration of the city and my work to the peace and majesty and nurture of Mother Nature. Mm -hmm. And I have found that to be enormously helpful. It's like I'm drinking or eating. Mm -hmm. It feeds me. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was at my home and I woke up on a Saturday morning just feel, feeling completely overwhelmed completely overwhelmed and it was a precious weekend that my husband and I were just going to be together mm. no children at home etc and I said my quote to myself what comes is what I need mm -hmm. and I found myself saying to him I'm so sorry I need to be alone today I'm just overwhelmed and he's an extraordinary and amazing man. And he said, okay. He didn't mm -hmm. say, well, I thought we were spending the weekend together. And why do you have to be on your own? He just said, okay, mm -hmm. that's what you need. And I, I just walked in nature for 25 kilometers. Mm -hmm. I actually, I do a lot of sport and hiking mm -hmm. and yoga and all those things. But I found that when I'd walked my 25 kilometers in absolute silence with nature, I got back home and he said, so, do you feel better? And I said, yes, mm. I do. Mm -hmm. I absolutely do. Mm -hmm. So I find nature incredibly restorative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Julieta. It was fantastic having you on. And thank you for all the wonderful advice. And I do hope that book comes out because I think a lot of women and, and men as well will want to read it and be inspired by your wisdom and your advice. Well, thank you for being with me and uh, for spending this time with me, especially as you just got off a plane. I'm so <laughs> grateful. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review wherever you like to listen to podcasts. I'll be back in a week with a new guest on the show. Thank you so much for listening.